Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, this is Nadine Dietz, host of CMO Moves. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thanks so much for stopping by today and to give you a quick overview on what to expect. CMO Moves is all about game-changing leaders, their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. I hope you'll enjoy their stories as much as I do and take away a few tips and some inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to CMO Moves. Today, I am delighted to have Melissa Proctor with me, who is the Chief Marketing Officer of the Atlanta Hawks. Melissa, hi and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. I am thrilled to have you join me. I've been a huge fan of yours, especially since I actually was part of your masterclass. I was just the host, but you were the master teacher. And it was so fabulous to have you teach a class on managing your career and what a career you've had. So we're going to dive into that in, in great detail today. But first, I just wanted to say again, thank you for teaching that masterclass. It was brilliant. And for anybody who's listening, you can find it on adweek.com under the masterclasses. So thank you, Melissa. It was a lot of fun. It was. How do you not have fun with Adam Grossman from the Red Sox and... <laughs> Julian Duncan from the Jags. I mean, the three of you is like, ooh, I had like pages of notes from that. So they're my new besties. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, hey, speaking of pages, you've penned quite a few pages yourself. I see the book in your background there from Ball Girl to CMO. Um, pretty cool. So congrats on the book, too. Thank you. 
Absolutely. So we're actually, that's probably a good place to start because that is about career journeys. Mm -hmm. And I remember in your masterclass, you had a picture of a little girl who was sweeping up the floors behind Michael Jordan wearing his Wizards 23 jersey. And then right next to it is a picture of your book from ball girl to CMO. So tell us about that. Well, it's funny. That was Jordan's final season in the NBA. And that was actually a ball girl on the court for the Hawks after I graduated college when I first moved to Atlanta for my first role in marketing as an intern for TNT Marketing, which is why I use that image next to this book from Ball Girl to CMO, because I never in a million years would have imagined that, you know, being a ball girl in Miami, had no hookups, didn't know anyone in the league, never went to a professional sporting event until I got the call to come in and you know, test the waters of being a ball kid to being where I am now. Yeah. Well, and look at you now, Miss CMO of the Atlanta Hawks and working on some really cool initiatives. In fact, we're going to release this podcast on Martin Luther King Day for a very special reason. And we're going to come back and talk about that in detail. But before we do that, let's talk about your journey still, because so you're, you're a ball girl, you're behind Michael Jordan. And then what happened? (laughs) Well, actually, before that, you know, growing up, my mother's from Belize and my father's from Jamaica. And so I did not grow up watching anything American, no sports, no nothing. And I was an artist, you know, by trade, drawing and painting. And so I went to magnet schools in Miami for uh, middle school, for high school. I went to design and architecture senior high school, and I focused on graphic design as a major in high school. And when I was 15, I remember going to my mom saying, hey, I want to get a job. All my friends are going to work at the mall and the movie theaters. And she said, well, Mel, you can get a job as long as it's in whatever you want to do for the rest of your life. And at that time, I had started watching basketball on TV with one of my cousins, who was a big Heat fan. And so that is where I started loving basketball. Never played a day in my life. And I told my mom, I said, well, I want to be the first female coach for the NBA because I would watch these games and I wouldn't see any women on the sidelines. And I doubt she even knew what NBA stood for, but she said, okay, go get a job in the NBA. And I said, well, okay, that was it. That was the only option I had. So I started with the Yellow Pages and called and ended up getting connected to someone in the community relations department who was like, I don't know what you would do, kid. We don't have any jobs. Try the equipment manager. And so I got connected to Jay Sable, who was the equipment manager at the time for the Heat. And he totally tried to, you know, discourage me. He said it was grunge work, you know, mop sweat, full towels, hang uniforms. You come in early, you stay late. Oh, by the way, it doesn't pay. And I was like, well, I don't care. I just want to try. It still sounds intriguing. And so I kept calling him. And at one point he said, if you call me one more time, I'm not going to hire you. (laughs) Letters. And I would draw heat logos and pictures of Alonzo Mourning and Tim Hardaway and basketballs on my letters. And finally, one day he said, you know, kid, you got a lot of heart. Come in, come for a preseason game. And it was the first time I'd ever been in the Miami arena at that time for a basketball game. They gave me a whole free outfit, which I thought was the coolest thing ever, and some sneakers, and told me to rebound. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, But that moment was career-defining, ultimately. And I became the queen of the court, got to run plays with Stan Van Gundy, who was an assistant at the time, Pat Riley would be drawing up the plays during the game, and I would take the pieces of paper and try to put together a binder of plays. Had no idea what I was even looking at, um, but it was some of the best experience I ever got in my life. And I became the first ball girl on the court for the Heat. 
because at the time they were all ball boys. And one of the team owner's daughter was on the sidelines because her brother was a ball boy. And so when I started, she came along with me. So we were the two ball girls together. And it was amazing. That was my introduction to sports. Then I went on to Wake Forest University for college on an art scholarship, actually. It was a communication major. Every summer I would go back to Miami, helping volunteering with the Heat, whether it was a draft, free agency, putting together scout reports, whatever I could do to be connected to basketball. Because my goal sort of shifted from being the first coach, just getting a job in the NBA. And I remember the year the Miami Soul launched, the WNBA team that Miami had for a bit, I was there that summer. And so I got to help out with the referees and because I was the only person with experience who was a girl, which was great. And all of those things led to the seminal moment my senior year of college when I was going to get a job in the NBA. And so I had applied for a management training program and I think it was Secaucus, New Jersey at the time. And I just knew this was my job. I got Pat Riley and Alonzo Mourning to write me letters of recommendation. So like I was in there and I did my interview and they were like, we love you. You were great. You're highly recommended, but you're too creative for us. Mm. We are a business and you don't really fit our mold. And I was devastated. And at the same time, there was an assistant in the communications department, Turner Broadcasting. I had no idea what Turner Broadcasting was, but all they said was send us your talent and a project. At the time, as an artist and designer, uh, I designed this black Powerpuff girl, and I was going to send them uh, a doll with some slides and a briefcase. Uh, that was my artwork, and I suck at sewing. So I tried to make this doll. It didn't work out, but that sketch turned into a page in a magazine that I created. It was a T3 TV guide, all about myself and my brand, and I made myself a Cleopatra and a Turner Classic Movie ad. I made myself a a ball kid for an NBA on TNT ad. And ultimately that magazine was the thing that got me my first marketing job at Turner because they said, you sold yourself so well to us. We think you would do an amazing job of selling our content to consumers. Mm. And that was the beginning of my career in marketing. And that year I was marketing at TNT and the all-star game was in Atlanta. And I was a ball girl on the court for the Hawks mopping up Michael Jordan sweat. Wow. That's amazing. Well, so many props to you for just owning your destiny. I mean, this is what I'm going to do and I'm not going to stop until I get there. And uh, wow, that has served you so well in your life. I probably had no idea what I was doing at that stage, but out of passion and desire, so much of it is just kind of being driven by, you know, just the natural curiosity of wanting to know what could be. Yeah. Well, let's keep going down your path. So fascinating. So then what happened? So, you know, once I started at Turner Broadcasting, I had never really even taken a marketing class in college. I took one PR class and a lot of rhetoric and analyzing and very, very academic at Wake Forest that was on the path to becoming a professor. And so when I started, it was a great time in marketing because it was like the beginning of, you know, websites being developed. And at the time for television, the website was all around the schedule. Like people only went to the website for the schedule. I'm like, the world has shifted so much. Um, And so I got a great broad marketing generalization kind of education in that role. Everything from working with our analytics team and understanding ratings and markets and to working with our design team on an ad for a TV guide or, you know, whichever else to working with our Turner Media Group, which was an internal buying and planning team that would buy and place the media. And so at the end of this internship or even in the middle of it, I had learned so much 
but you know, I was doing a lot of informational interviews with people just trying to learn you know, who they were and what they did. And one of my interviews was with a woman named Jennifer Dorian, who was the head of brand strategy. And she was the one who helped do the rebrand from TNT to We Know Drama. Well, TNT is a drama network. And then TBS is a comedy network. And so when I met with her, it just blew my mind how creative and strategic her role was of let's build a foundation for this network that all these shows would be placed on. And she asked me a question in trying to help explain what her job was. She said, imagine that, you know, TNT was going to have a, a, a store in the airport. What would that experience be like? What would we sell? And the artist in me was like, oh, man, that blows my mind. I have no idea. What would it smell like? What would you do in that store? And so I really admired the work she was doing. And so we had a conversation around what was keeping her up at night. And I just asked. And she said, oh, you know, I right now I'm trying to figure out how I can get these ad sales teams to sell TNT. Because at the time it was a law and order network, really targeted an older audience. And the ad sales team was really young, like in their thirties. So she did her own research and found that most of them were living their lives first. So they were in the, I'm getting married for the first time, buying my first house, having my first child. And so she really thought about how she could put TNT in the moments in their life that just connected to them. So they were calling them dramatic occasion kits that they would send to the ad sales team, which I thought was pretty cool. She's like, I have no idea what to put in them. So I went home that night and I started sketching because I'm an artist. So I sketched a here comes drama baby onesie. I sketched a drama king and drama queen robe. I did a, a TNT drama is picture frame for a wedding picture. And then I went to her the very next day with all of these ideas and handed them to her. And she said, oh, my gosh, you know, this is amazing because it's super creative, but incredibly strategic in that, you know, we can produce them and deliver them and they're not super expensive. And so they actually executed most of the ideas that I had. And from that day, she became a friend and a mentor that that relationship lasts till right now. But it really kind of switched the trajectory of my career to focus on brand strategy. And so I decided I wanted to leave to go to graduate school in London and gotten accepted to a program at Central St. Martin's College of Art and Design. So I quit my job at Turner altogether, moved to London, ended up meeting someone at Turner's UK office and did an internship at Turner Europe, Asia, Africa, and the Middle East in corporate social responsibility. Just off a chance meeting, uh, myself and my manager became the entire department. So I pretty much worked full-time in Turner in the UK while I was in grad school full-time. And it was a phenomenal experience. And I probably would have never left London, except it was incredibly expensive. (laughs) And my mom uh, was older and disabled at the time. And so I promised that I would come back home to help take care of her. I'm an only child and she was managing a lot on her own. And so at the end of my program, I ended up getting a role back in Atlanta at Turner, uh, which was crazy because I wanted a brand strategy job and there were none. And so I actually came back as an HD graphics producer, which at the time people knew me as an artist. So of course you can do 3D graphics. And I learned so much and I'm so grateful for that opportunity. But I spent a couple of years working at Turner, pretty much making, call them NPKs or violators at the bottom of the screen, like watch Pretty Woman tonight at seven. That was me Um, versioning them out. And it was great because at the same time, they were building up uh, internal design chops within the company instead of farming things out to agencies. So I also got to be the liaison between our creative group and our marketing team and helping to build up an internal agency. So that was great. And then... A couple of years later, Turner had acquired Court TV. 
And so my first big brand strategy project, I got hired on as a brand manager to work on the rebrand from Court TV to True TV. And that was an amazing experience and really honed my brand strategy chops just in working from soup to nuts, doing all of it, managing naming agencies, you name it, pretty much independently. Uh, And after that, I think it was at Turner about 11 years. I had nine different jobs from director of insights and inspiration, working with our media team on helping CMOs gather consumer insights and media trends outside of our industry, to doing some internal culture building work across all of our entertainment networks, working with an organizational psychologist for a year and 600 employees to really use appreciative inquiry as a way to really understand how to build work culture, which was phenomenal. And then I worked with the Cartoon Network and Adult Swim business in business strategy, which was really helpful working with my mentor in a very different business unit. And that's understanding the audience that's to come, which was great. And then in that role, they asked me to sit on a task force around a digital health and wellness startup that Turner was thinking of launching. And I sat on the task force, learned a lot. And the idea was to really blaze a trail in a way that we had never done before, both on the digital realm, as well as on television, on our core network. And it was a phenomenal opportunity. A lot of my mentors told me not to take the job uh, because at the time we didn't have a great track record of launching new businesses, but I was so intrigued by the opportunity that I took it anyway. And so we launched a brand called Upwave uh, and it was a lot of fun. We both had a tremendous team, made content with Tim Ferriss, developed a show called Cook Your Ass Off, which was a healthy cooking show. And about six or nine months after we uh, launched the business, uh, one CEO of Turner had left and the CFO of Time Warner came in to run the business. And we were the last business started in the first one cut. So after investing millions into the business, they cut myself and my entire uh, business group. And at the time I was eight months pregnant and had no clue what I was going to do, but I had been with the company for 11 years. I had a little severance and obviously I had bigger priorities than worrying about a job. So, you know, I left and decided to have my baby and I said, I'll figure the rest out. And about two months after I had my daughter, I went to uh, the arena here in Atlanta, Phillips Arena, as a fan to go to a Hawks draft party and ran into uh, an old mentor from Turner who had left to be CEO of the Hawks. And when I was mopping up sweat behind Michael Jordan, he would be sitting courtside. So he would see me mopping sweat and he would see me in the office. And when I did the rebrand from Court TV to True TV, he was the president of the network and I was the lowest person on the totem pole. But he remembered me. And I ran into him at that party. He said, hey, I may need your help building a brand. Um, Would you like to come in and sit in on some meetings? And I was like, sure. He introduced me to a whole bunch of people. And they're like, hey, we can't wait for you to start. (laughs) And I said, start what? He was like, oh, we'll just, you know, come to this meeting and come to that meeting. And then started consulting a couple months after that. And then maybe around four months later, I started as a VP of brand strategy with the Atlanta Hawks. And that's how I kind of made my way from Turner to the Hawks. And I believe that everything happens for a reason, because I later learned that, you know, he couldn't poach any talent from Turner as a company. So had I not taken the job that I was told I shouldn't take, (laughs) I wouldn't have gotten laid off and I probably wouldn't be where I am today. So I I truly, truly believe that everything happens for a reason. That's amazing. I mean, and, and by the way, I don't think there are many people who would ever forget meeting you after meeting you. And what a great experience that you've had collecting all these different 
views of marketing. And now you are CMO and owning all of it. Um, and I do want to ask you more about organizational design because that's so fascinating to me. But now as CMO, what, what is your primary role now at the Atlanta Hawks? I mean, I would say my primary role is driving demand and building this brand. And so with that, I have an amazing team of leaders that really I just empower them to do their best work and try to get out the way. But obviously advertising and promotion is a part of my world. Everything in our mobile, digital side, our app, looking at our social media across all channels. Myself and our head of PR partner together on brand communications, which is really kind of like our core comm function uh, internally. Have an amazing woman named Amy Serino who runs our brand merchandising world, which has grown exponentially with some of the coolest merchandise ever. And we can talk a bit more about our current city edition uniforms. When I got the organization from a creative standpoint, we had amazing creative in arena execution. We had really cool digital creative. We had great creative from a television perspective for spots and they were kind of different. And so now we built an internal agency we call Hawk Studios that really blends all of those things together um, led by Matt Bunting and Shirley Zhang, our creative director, and it's phenomenal. And so the work that's coming out of Hawk Studios is great. Joe Abercrombie is our leader on the live events and production side. So that's all things related to our arena, our show, which is one of the best in the NBA that I'm incredibly proud of. And that team has really, especially through the pandemic, has shifted so greatly just in, we used to be out in the community through our fan experience team that were street teams out there getting people excited. Now they're a part of our game ops, helping with crowd noise and, and all other types of things. So that's phenomenal. And executing all of our camps and clinics around Atlanta throughout the summer, we've actually had to convert that into a digital offering now called Hawks at Home. And so, you know, collectively, it's a pretty broad role. But I'll say the beauty of it is the alignment of getting all of those teams connected and rowing in the same direction has really been what I think has been able to take our work and our partnership with our corporate partnerships team, our ticketing group, our entire organization. We work across all of it. HR, recruiting, you name it. We're a part of that business as well. Okay, so fascinating. I mentioned I, I wanted to come back to organizational design because clearly culture and in the workplace specifically is so instrumental in lifting, supporting and communicating your brand purpose and DNA. And I literally been talking about this all day. I was on a call right before you talking about culture and brand and brand purpose. How much of that work that, I mean, I'm actually kind of jealous you got to spend a year working with an organizational psychologist. Like how much of that did you bring into this role? You know, it's interesting because I thought that work was very off for a director of brand strategy at the time. And now I realize how valuable it is for a leader in any organization. And so, so much of what I learned um, from that experience was we use this process called appreciative inquiry, where we would ask people like, what would make this your dream place to work? You know, what, what do you need to thrive and be successful here? And honestly, just speaking to people and letting them tell you was part of the process. So I had to take all of these bits of feedback and really taking the time from an SVP level all the way down to interns, getting that feedback and then looking at the themes that really connected people. And, and no matter what world you're in or what size team you have, that's a really awesome practice because you'll learn so much what people think are important. 
And at Turner at the time, it ranged because we did this with teams in Atlanta, New York, and LA. In New York, people wanted clean bathrooms and fresh paint on the wall. In LA, people wanted dog walkers. You know, In Atlanta, they wanted Starbucks. Like it ranged, but there were some lines that just connected everyone. One was information sharing. And so that ended up becoming building an internet site that gave you information. Some people had no idea what the offices even looked like in other cities because they hadn't traveled there. But you can't feel connected as one if you don't even know where your colleagues are. And so there were very small things that really just made such a difference. Obviously, in, in most companies, difficult now in the pandemic, people wanted to get together socially or personally outside of work to really get to know people. So we worked together, created a really a professional development opportunity for someone to go out and build relationships with local restaurants to create happy hours on days that they were you know, quiet so we can tell people to come over and have some drinks. It was great. We built a mentorship program. Professional development was very important, especially for junior level staff. And while HR may have had programs that wasn't really tied and connected in the ways that made sense for our business specifically. And so we built circle mentoring within the entertainment networks themselves. And then for a little bit of fun, we put together a newsletter because people were like, I work in this brand. I have no idea when this brand is launching a new show you know, I would love to know who the new employees are or anniversaries, birthdays, things like that. And so we built a physical newsletter that we printed and put on everyone's desk once a quarter that helped connect people. And it was such a simple execution, but the work to get there was pretty intricate. And now as a leader, I just see how valuable it is to actually take time, listen to people with people, but also understand that, you know, the context and the why of why you're doing things is so important. In leadership. Yeah. So let's talk about something anchored in purpose, truly important, cultural, and around diversity and inclusion, because we have a very important, significant day coming up next Monday, Martin Luther King Day. Mm -hmm. And you have been working around the clock planning for this day. Tell us what you've been working on. Well, about Three uh, years ago and change when I first uh, started uh, within the CMO role, obviously Nike has come on board as a league partner of our uniforms. And so they brought this new program called the City Edition Uniform. They were like, hey, Melissa, what what are we going to make this? And so myself and my head of uh, merchandising, we met with the Nike team in Atlanta and they said, well, tell us about the city. What's important? And the interesting part is we knew it was three years ago. It wasn't going to be timely. We couldn't say, hey, let's do this thing that's hot right now because we have no idea if they would even be relevant three years from now. So one of the things that I was really passionate about was each year Atlanta always did it big for MLK Day. We always had a game. It was a day game. We would get gospel choirs to do player intros and things that were always differentiated, but just always the importance of honoring the legacy of Dr. King for the city of Atlanta, where he was born and raised, where, you know, he is now the King Center, all of that. And, you know, the first idea on my list that I would love to create a uniform that honored the legacy of Dr. King. And they were like, oh, that's, you know, an interesting idea. And obviously everyone thinks legal and IP and is that possible or not? But, you know, the Nike team was great. And so we gave them some direction, told them to go down Sweet Auburn Avenue, to go to the birth home of Dr. King, to take a visit to the King Center, go by Ebenezer Baptist Church and just get inspired. And so they went that day and we ended up meeting a couple of weeks later and they said, you were right. This is phenomenal. There's so much depth and richness to his story and the connection to Atlanta. 
And from a brand standpoint, it was so important for us that we weren't posing or doing something that wasn't incredibly relevant to our city. And so, you know, we worked with them and we said, hey, let's see if this is feasible. And over the course of three years, working with the Nike team, the NBA, the King Estate, who have been amazing partners throughout the entire process, the PA as well decided they wanted to be a part of it. And so what started out really small, once people saw the design and the idea of what we were talking about, continued to grow in terms of wanting to make it a focal point. Now, three years later, in this cultural climate, during a pandemic that we could have never anticipated, we're launching this MLK uniform and it'll be on court for the first time on Monday. So incredibly excited and proud of that work. But, you know, one of the things that we decided this summer when we launched it was we would love every bit of profit or proceed from this uniform to go back into the city of Atlanta and to make sure that it's helping communities of color. And with our ownership, economic empowerment has been a really key driver because until we can change the economics of the situation, things may not change. So really being able to provide opportunities and working with the Russell Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurship locally, our ownership is dedicated dollars there. And so now we're working through different organizations locally that will support men and women of color around entrepreneurship. And so we're going to be donating funds from our uniform to that. And so our campaign around it was earn these letters because we knew that every player who had MLK on their chest and with the design, literally it's MLK. It's the first person I think ever to be honored on the chest of a uniform, which doesn't even have a team's city on it. Literally it's just this MLK. You know, we wanted them to know that the importance of what they're wearing, they're earning these letters because they're wearing it every day. So whether it's our arena being the first in the league to be open for early voting, it's part of the runoffs this summer. We've been doing this work for a very long time. And now we're really encouraging our fans to come along with us. And if that's marching or protesting or volunteering or whatever it is, you know, really educating on the legacy of Dr. King, which was one of the things the King Estate was adamant about as we did our deal from the very beginning. So we really want to ensure that the next generation of Atlantans and Hawk fans understand the work that Dr. King did. And also not just reading about Dr. King, but also reading King. A lot of people don't know he wrote a number of books. And so we're going to have a book series on our website and just really do that education through our game day experience on our social channels to really just help honor Dr. King, you know, in the way that we can. And we'll be using, uh, play, wearing these uniforms and we call them our unity games. And so we'll have 10 throughout the season. And in our internal team, Hawk Studios designed an amazing court to play on where they took our Hawks logo and they designed a stained glass background within it, which is phenomenal. It's not featured on the uniform, but it really just kind of pulls on the narrative and the story of Dr. King being a reverend and a preacher at local churches. And so, you know, I'm so proud of that work and knowing that our team did it all internally in partnership with Nike on the design of the uniform has been awesome. Wow. I commend you. That's amazing work. And anything we can do to continue to share your story and support your mission, we're all in. Uh, so thank you for your work on this. Well, truly appreciate it. And thank you for you know this opportunity because we really would love to encourage as many people to get out there and do the work. You know, It's not just about the retail or selling anything. It's about earning those letters and continuing the work that he fought so long and hard for. Yes, indeed. Well, and on top of all that, you got the attention of a very important person I heard. 
you know, it was very interesting. We got a very special email a couple days ago uh, from the NBPA that referenced how a group of players had gone to Vatican City a year or two ago and met the Pope and how the Pope is very pleased with all of the work the NBA has done over the past summer around Black Lives Matter and social justice overall. And as a part of his praise for the work, he has seen the MLK uniforms that the Atlanta Hawks have done and has personally requested a Hawks uniform to bless. And so they are asking us to send a jersey to send directly to the Pope so that he can bless it on MLK Day. Now, I saw that note and I was like, you have to be kidding me. This is like career defining moment that the Pope wants to bless an idea that you came up with. But, you know, right now we're in the process of getting it to him. So, you know, fingers crossed that it all works out and comes together. But I think just the idea that we have caught the eye of the Pope and someone of that stature that has obviously done a ton of work around connecting people and is a fan of Dr. King would see this uniform in a way that is bigger than basketball. And that's what we're really, you know, all about with this initiative. That is unbelievable. And, you know, I have been waiting for many, many years since I first heard about it, all in good taste, to be able to use the Pope emoji. So if this happens, <laughs> and, and I can talk about this on Monday, I'm going to use the Pope emoji as part of my tweeting about your podcast. Is that, is that cool? I mean, I think that's awesome. If, if that works out, that would be fantabulous. I, I have never used it before, and I am excited to use it. I'll thank uh, Kathleen Hessert for inventing that many years ago. Anyways, holy cow. Um, I am so excited that we got time to spend together today, and I cannot wait to share this podcast with everyone on Monday and include all the links to all the fabulous work that you've done, also your master class. And your book, your book is amazing. You've given me so much inspiration and I cannot let you go without asking you my very last question that I ask everyone. And I can't wait to hear your answer on this. So you ready for this one? I think I am. Okay. If money and talent were of no object and you could be doing anything in the world except what you're doing now, what would you do? Oh, okay. Can I pick two things? Sure. Absolutely. I have, I have two. So my, my answer from the time I was in high school was always that I wanted to be a high school guidance counselor because I had a woman named Mrs. Nance who was our guidance counselor. She was probably like 90 and had no need to work, but she would come into the school two, three days a week and just sit with us and go through those big brochures of colleges that used to exist <laughs> and help us decide and give us addresses to go request catalogs from schools. But I remember it being so helpful in thinking about my future and having someone to just talk to about it and give advice and how to get internships. And so I'd love to do that if money was no object and I can just sit and kick it with high school students and help them decide what they want to do, at least for the next moment in their life, that would be great. But the other one is <laughs> totally personal and I love all things Caribbean. I said my family's West Indian. And so I love carnival. I love soca music. So I always joke with my friends that I want to be an international soca sensation where I would sing songs and be able to travel to every carnival around the Caribbean in the world and just be able to perform and go to parties for free. That would make my life. 
Will you invite me when you do that? Because I really <laughs> want to do that. It would be my pleasure. I, it would be mine. If that happens, I will invite everyone to come with me because <laughs> that would just be awesome. I would love to see that. Okay. Maybe you should like do like a practice run and invite us and we can give you some input because it just sounds beautiful. I want to see it. Yeah. By the way, I can't sing. So that's definitely, you know, there's, there's a lot of different types of artists out there. A little auto tune, never hurt anyone. Absolutely. Well, Melissa, thank you so much for joining me today. Again, it's been such a pleasure and inspiration to have you on the show. Thank you. No, it's been wonderful. And I, I, like I said, I really appreciate it. Love the work you're doing and happy to help support you guys in any way that I can. Awesome. All right. We'll talk soon. All right. Take care. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, I would love your help in sharing CMO moves with one of your friends or colleagues who you think might enjoy it too. And if you have time, I would really love your review or ratings on Apple or SoundCloud. So thanks again and have a great day. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.